Thanks for joining us in the spring of 2022 for the Adult Study Guide podcast. This quarter, Brother Mark Clements is going to guide us through the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The nation of Israel, while far from perfect, demonstrates for the Bible student God's high standards for his people, how we fail miserably at meeting those standards, and finding grace in Jesus. So grab your copy of the Adult Study Guide or your Bible and study along with Brother Mark. Today's lesson is entitled, The Separation of Israel, from Leviticus 11, 44, 18, 2 through 5, and 20, 22 through 26. Today's application is, the student will learn that the Levitical laws of separation and cleanliness indicate that God's people are to remain pure and separate from the world. Seeking the context. When I was a child, I remember working on a little project outside. I had found some wood and nails and decided to build something. I was ready to nail two pieces of wood together, but unable to find the hammer, I reached for the first tool I thought would do the job. I grabbed a socket wrench and found limited success in hammering the nail. Of course, I got into trouble when it was discovered I had misused the socket wrench for a purpose that could have destroyed it. I learned a valuable lesson that day, namely, that certain tools are made for specific uses, and when they are misused, Headache and heartache ensue. God desires his children to be set apart for his specific purposes. Paul reminded Timothy that in great houses there are multiple varieties of vessels, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. God's children should desire to be used as vessels of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21 When someone uses fine china for a meal, it is usually in celebration of a special occasion. Otherwise, common dinnerware is used. When God works in and through human beings, it is a special occasion, which means those people should be separated for His holy uses like fine china. The Israelites are God's chosen people whom He brought out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, Exodus 22. God led his people to occupy the promised land in which he intended for them to stand as a lighthouse to the world, showing forth his glory. This distinct purpose required his people to be consecrated for his glory, distinctly different from the other nations of the land. Israel would have different dietary customs, higher standards for community, and a distinctly monotheistic practice of worship. As God's children, there should be something uniquely different about us. Obviously, the most important difference between the saved and the unsaved is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit by whom we have been born again. But the presence of God in us also means there will be observable differences in our behavior. In today's text, we will see some of the distinctions God required of His people in comparison to the customs of those who did not belong to Him. As we go through these texts, consider how God makes us different from those who do not follow Him. What benefits can be seen in maintaining a distinction from the unbelieving world? Searching the text. Number one, Israel's dietary customs were distinct. Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves 
and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves by any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. One way people who are weight conscious try to maintain healthy eating patterns is by counting calories. Perhaps you have tried to count calories at some point or another. While counting calories takes discipline, I learned through trial and error that my body reacts differently to 200 calories of carrots as opposed to 200 calories of ice cream. While I may be free to eat either, I have found there is wisdom in preferring healthy options over unhealthy ones. The key to taking care of our bodies lies in the discipline to yield to God's desires instead of our own instincts. But we must know what God desires. Israel also needed to know God's desires. As a fledgling nation attempting to occupy the promised land, God determined to use the priests in directing the people as to what was holy or unholy, clean or unclean. Leviticus 10, 10, and 11. Moses and Aaron did not know exactly how to determine what was holy or clean, so God told them, beginning with what they could eat. Beginning in Leviticus 11, the Lord told Moses and Aaron which animals they could and could not eat, describing them as clean or unclean. There has been much debate through the ages as to the reasons why God placed some creatures in the clean category and others in the unclean. While God may not have disclosed his reasons for declaring some animals clean and others unclean, he did make his purpose clear. As God's holy people, these dietary restrictions would help them distinguish between ritual cleanness and uncleanness, thus honoring their consecration to God in the midst of a world wholly given to idolatry. Once God described which animals were clean and unclean, including fish, birds, and insects, he informed his people the ultimate reason why they should restrict themselves to eating only those things approved by him, namely, because he said so. Obviously, God knows things we do not know about the dangers of eating unclean things. But ultimately, Israel was to abstain from them because that was God's holy desire. In their decisions about what to eat, God's people were to demonstrate restraint in choosing only those things approved by God. Now that the Gentile and Jew distinction is no longer relevant in the New Covenant, these dietary restrictions are no longer needed to define God's people. While Christians may be free to eat whatever food they desire, we are still required to deny our fleshly appetites in favor of spiritual disciplines that show the holiness of God. Our natural instincts must be filtered through the Word of God, whether in something simple such as choosing what to eat or in more important decisions such as how to raise a family. God is holy, so we must be holy in all things and refuse to defile ourselves with the choices we make. How do our personal disciplines demonstrate holiness? Number two, Israel's community interactions were distinct. Leviticus 18, 2 through 5. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, ye shall not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. 
Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. When Jesus introduced his followers to kingdom standards under the new covenant, they may have been surprised to know that his teaching was not new. Of course, the language was different, and his fulfillment of the law meant the kingdom was available to everyone, not just Jews. But when Jesus told his followers that the world would know them by their love for one another, he was reinforcing God's expectations for his people from the very beginning. John 13, 35. God has always expected his children to be distinct from the rest of the world in their treatment of one another with love. This portion of Leviticus demonstrated what loving community interactions looked like practically. Israel was to live in a manner that was noticeably different from the cultural customs of Egypt and the land of Canaan. These nations tended to engage in practices that were dangerous, unhygienic, or distasteful in comparison to the standards God requires of his special creation. When it came to holy living, God expected his children to make sure they caused no harm to each other or prevented one another from full participation in worship. God wanted his people to be extremely cautious when it came to diseases so that an outbreak could be contained. He wanted new mothers to take their time getting back to normal living to make sure that they and their babies were healthy and ceremonially clean. Leviticus 12. He prescribed laws to govern the treatment of potentially infectious diseases so that they would not cause harm to the community at large. Leviticus 13 through 15. God wanted his people to consume their meals in a manner that showed creation's dignity and God's glory. Leviticus 17. He ordered his people to abstain from sexual immorality, which was commonly practiced among the people of Egypt and Canaan. Leviticus 18. Additionally, God expected his people to treat each other with respect and mercy. He ordered his people to love their neighbors as themselves. Their love for their neighbors would be seen in the care they would show for those less fortunate among them, in their honest dealings with one another, and in their upholding of justice in the land for those wronged. Leviticus 19, 9-18. The community interactions of God's people would be a showcase for God's glory for the whole world to see. These statutes were distinct from the common practices of other people in the land by God's design. When the people adhered to God's standards, they honored the image of God in each person and fostered a community in which everyone could thrive. When God's people treat each other as God desires, He receives the glory as the centerpiece of all creation. When God's people refuse to do so, they set themselves up as supreme, resulting in oppression, injustice, societal decay, and most significant, idolatry. How do we demonstrate holiness through the way we treat others? Number three, Israel's worship of Jehovah was distinct. Leviticus 20, 22 through 26. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, Ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people." Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean. And ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast, 
or by fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. When a man and woman leave their parents' home and join together in holy matrimony, Jesus taught that they are made one flesh by God himself, never to be separated from one another. Matthew 19:4-6. If a marriage is to honor God, there must be leaving and cleaving. If a husband or wife does not separate completely from dependence upon parents, the marriage will suffer. The same is true when it comes to God's people and their need to separate from worldly dependence. While inhabiting the land of Canaan would have many wonderful blessings, God wanted Israel to limit what they would adopt as their own. By God's design, the land itself flowed with milk and honey, abundantly producing enough food for his people. Leviticus 20, 24. The people who dwelled in the land, though, had chosen to reject God completely, adopting idolatrous practices that fostered death, disease, and destruction. Their idolatry corrupted their way of life so thoroughly that the only hope for the land was to replace them completely. To preserve life in the land, God's people were to maintain separation from the inhabitants in their devotion to Jehovah. If Israel were to adopt the worship of idols prominent in the region, God would vomit them out of the land. Israel belonged to Jehovah, so they must adopt worship practices that demonstrated their holiness. Everyone worships something. Even devout atheists bow their hearts in obeisance to a principle, worldview, or person which dictates their morality. Our worship is seen in how we live our lives, serving and declaring the glory of God for the world to see. Like Israel, we must remember that we belong to God. As his children, we have been set apart from the world for worshipful service to him. What does our distinct worship of God demonstrate to the world around us? Setting the application. Like fish that swim upstream, the people of God stand out in the midst of those who simply do what comes naturally to the flesh. Because of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit permanently living within who compels and convicts us to walk in holiness. We demonstrate holiness in our personal spiritual disciplines, including things we choose to eat and drink. We demonstrate holiness in the way we treat each other with compassion, and we demonstrate holiness in how we serve God through heartfelt worship. When we live distinctly holy lives for God's glory, He is pleased with our devotion and blesses us beyond measure. Additionally, our consecrated living will have an impact on the people around us. When a man walks in holiness for the glory of God, his life will demonstrate outward consecration. We cannot hide the presence of God in our lives. When we separate ourselves from the world's way of living, we shine like lighthouses in a darkened world. How can our commitment to holiness impact our communities? Thanks for listening to another lesson on the Adult Study Guide podcast. We will catch you next week for another lesson in this great quarter. Until then, join us daily on our daily devotional blog at www.bogardpress.org.